Fashion Fam, we're going on a short hiatus to bring you more fabulous interviews for season two. I can't wait to share all of the new guests. But until then, we're going to roll the hits this month. So we're bringing back some of the top episodes with your favorite guests for our summer replay series. Up first is the one and the only Bevy Smith. And if you haven't picked up Bevelations yet, um, get it now. She shares her story and there are so many great gems. Like my personal favorite, it gets greater later. Amen. I seriously can't wait to see Bevy at her Life with Vision brunch this week in Washington, D.C. If you'll be there, shoot me a DM on Instagram at a fashion moment. I would love to meet you. Enjoy our conversation. Everyone has their own path and their own journey. I have so many friends that are so happily married and they have children all that. And I love that. And I'm not one of those women that's against that. But I know that that wouldn't have been right for me. So thine own self be true is what William Shakespeare says. And for me, I could not have found this Beverly, this little brown Bevy. I could not have found her if I had been in that kind of relationship because at that point, everything that I was, was all about whatever they wanted me to be. Bevy Smith has always kept it real, but most of all, she's fearlessly authentic. From fashion to entertainment, she stays true to her Harlem roots with the gift of gab and impeccable conversation. She was also the host on Bravo TV's Fashion Queens, Page Six on the E! Channel, and now a successful radio show on Sirius XM called Bevelations, which is also the name of her recently released book. Bevy gives us a rare look into her personal journey, navigating her way as a fashion advertising executive at Rolling Stone and Vibe, her journeys in romance, and also her evolution into the mother, auntie, and bestie we all know and love today. I had an opportunity to meet her during Fashion Week for a transformative Life with Vision event where I, along with tens of high achieving strangers, were able to connect and evolve in a matter of hours. Anyone who meets Bevy Smith will never be the same. She's an iconic treasure, someone that I am honored to have had on this podcast, and she is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Her authenticity is consistently electric and inspiring. Also, don't forget to buy her book, which was just released this week, Bevelations, Lessons from a Mother, Auntie, Bestie. There are so many gems in this conversation. I hope that you enjoy the experience as much as I did. Take a listen. Thank you so much for being on a fashion moment. I mean, your book just dropped. I'm so excited. Go get it, everyone. Bevelations, lessons from a mother, auntie, bestie. Okay, out now. And absolutely amazing. You know, I'm curious, what was the inspiration behind even doing a book? Well, you know, the book really came about very organically. My agent at the time, um, which just like, and this came about like 
the talks about me doing the book, gosh, have been about five or six years, really kind of like right after Fashion Queens ended. And it was like, oh my gosh, you should do a book, you should do a book. And I was like, yeah, I should. And then I just kind of like kept putting it off, kept putting it off. And then I had a wonderful agent who said, come into my office, sit down with me, and we're going to do a one-sheet outline for your book. And so we did. And then literally two weeks after that, Andy Cohen called me and said, have you ever thought about doing a book? And I said, as a matter of fact, I just met with my agent. We just put together kind of a one-sheet proposal for my book. And he's like, oh my gosh, you, you know, I just, I just got an imprint from Henry Holt and company. And I want you to come in and meet with us. And I was like, okay. So I went in and met with Andy and the team over at Henry Holt. And they loved the book. They purchased it for a very fair price, a very good price. And then, you know, and now here we are two years later and the book is is born. I'm really excited. And I mean, two years later is nothing compared to your amazing and vast career and not only fashion, but entertainment and just even like, I mean, I kind of view you as like a, a life coach as well, especially after reading this book. I'm like, oh my gosh. There's so many gems here. So, you know, before I get into the book, you know, for those who don't, may not know, they should, <laughs> but what is a bevelation? Like, what is a bevelation? You know, we all have had bevelations in our lives and it's just like a, kind of an epiphany. You know what I mean? It's that aha moment that happens in your life and you're just like, wow, that was profound. I wasn't expecting it, but here it is. And now I'm going to take that and I'm going to run with it. So it's really kind of like, you know, just really is this thing that can um, be really small, but it can alter your life and it can shift the way you think. And it, and it can bring new, wonderful things into your, your space that you've never even kind of imagined. You know, I had, um, you know, a revelations uh, moment when, you know, I opened the book with me, you know, going into my boss's office at Rolling Stone magazine and like quitting and even though I knew what I was quitting to do, I knew I was going to pursue a career and, and I uh, said, I wanted to write, I wanted to act, I wanted to juggle, I wanted to be a fighter, I wanted to do all these things. I just wanted to be a creative, right? Um, but when I got in there, it all just kind of tumbled out. The speech that I had made up in my head the way I was going to resign from my job as the fashion um, direct, senior fashion director of advertising at Rolling Stone, it just all went away. And it just kind of tumbled out. And, you know, he thought I was going through a midlife crisis. And I wasn't. What I was really having was a revelations moment. It was really just this moment of clarity. And I knew that I had to go for it. And I knew I had to change my life right then and there. And I could not, um, you know, I couldn't second guess myself. And I couldn't, uh, you know, kind of hedge my bets. Because at one point, he's like, you know, maybe you want to stay on and we can like give you a lot more latitude in which you can like go and explore other things. But I knew that when it came down to being able to make hundreds of thousands of dollars or going into this new life where we didn't know when we were going to make money. Um, I knew that if you have, if you're holding on to something, then it's very easy to just stay in that comfort zone. Yeah. And you, and you know how many times, and we've heard people say, well, I tried to open up my own business. Well, I tried to change careers. I tried. And oftentimes the reason why they don't succeed um, in that effort is because they're holding on to something else. 
They've got a backup plan. They've got a plan B. Or they've got something that, you know, has already worked for them. And they're like, you know what? I tried for a year. Well, it took me, as you know, from reading the book, it took Ooh. me seven years from Rolling Stone to uh, Fashion Queens. That's a very long time. And most people definitely would have given up. Uh, absolutely. And you, you mentioned in the book that you were 38. And so yeah. people are like, uh, you're stepping away at 38. Yeah. So to be able to jump off that cliff at that time in your life, if anything, when I was reading it, I really got that it's never too late. It's never too late to tap into your calling. It's never too late to walk away and switch gears. Yeah. Was there fear for you in that space? And how did you get over it? You did mention, I mean, you walked away from, woo, like the expense account. The, the free clothes, exclusives that yeah. people would die for, um, you know, just all these amazing experiences that are very competitive to get into in the fashion space, as you know, and as a black woman, even, yes. even yes. so back then, more so. Yes. Um, so uh, the thing that I found interesting there was that you, you did kind of allude to sort of being afraid of not being known. Yes. Yes, because, you know, we all, um, you know, buy into our personas, right? And, um, you know, I built up this persona as Beverly Smith, you know, fashionista, you know, fashion executive, and, and it had served me so well. And, you know, it's a weird thing, but like, you know, in New York City, there's this whole social hierarchy and it's like, you know, what restaurants can you get into, you know, um, you know, what parties are you invited to? What events do, are you, you know, privy to and all that kind of stuff. So there I was, this girl from 150th Street and 8th Avenue in Harlem. And I had made it all the way up to the pinnacle of, you know, kind of mainstream success. It was a really big thing where I had to be like, okay, now if I leave this job and if I leave this career path, if I could if I leave this trajectory, who am I? Then I just have to go into the world and be Beverly or, you know, and then of course I, I changed my name in that hotel room to Bevy, but you know, who am I, if I change, if I let go of all of this, if I let go of all of the status that I had accumulated and I found out that who I am is pretty darn good. I love it. There, I mean, so many great lines in this book. I mean, I was just outlining and highlighting, um, you know, one of the lines that I love that you say is, I realized that while I wasn't young, white, or sample size, I was smart, black, and savvy. And that too had value. Yes. I love that. Yeah. All you fashion girls out there, all you black and brown girls, I mean, you have value. And I love that. Yeah. Love that. And I also thought it was interesting, just some of your commentary on the fashion industry and fashion itself, just, you know, really sort of honing in from a marketing perspective on, you know, what women find, you know, wrong with themselves and then finding a way to buy something to, to fix help it. that and fix yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and, and really just uh, the, you know, some of the folks working in the industry, you know, struggling a bit with insecurity 
um, <laughs> which I thought was really interesting. I mean, you were going in, Bevy. I was like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> <laughs> you really think I was going in? You know oh, what? I, you were I, going, well, it was the truth, but you know, as black people in the industry, sometimes, you know, for so long, you know, now we have, you know, black lives matter and everything, but for so long, there are so many comments and feelings that were truths that we would hold back just so that we can keep our jobs or keep yeah. clients. So, you know, seeing that, that truth on paper, knowing that it's something that so many people have felt for so long and had been keeping it in was a real moment for me. Um, <laughs> I'm glad that you enjoyed that. Yeah, I, I just felt, you know, I got to tell you, though, when I really first quit, I was incredibly bitter uh, about the industry. Really, really bad. It was really, really bad for me. Um, so much so that I had actually started writing a um, a play, like a fictional story about the fashion industry. And I was saying scathing things about the people. And it would have been like, you no, know, I wouldn't have used real names, but the characters you would have known totally who the people were. I was, it was a really scathing um, picture of the fashion business. And, you know, as I, as I got further away from it and got more into my TV um, career, um, I lost a lot of that bitterness. And then, so now I'm able to come back to it and now I enjoy fashion again. I don't ever want to be a part of the business again, but um, in, in the way that I once was, like I never, I don't have any real desire to, you know, to, um, go to shows, you know, uh, you know, it was like you would leave New York and then you would go to Milan and then you would go to Paris. I have no desire to spend three weeks of my life doing that. (laughs) Like, you know, if I get now, if I, if I'm invited to a great show or something, like I love to go to Pyre Moss, I love to go to Smith, you know, it's all these different, now it's changed. Right. So now you feel like now for me, if I'm going to a show, I'm going because the show means something beyond just beautiful clothes. There's a real cultural significance. And um, and generally speaking, that's tied into African-American designers or, or Black designers that I feel connected to. So I'm, I'm optimistic, a lot more optimistic about the fashion business than I was when I first left. Also, you know, you see all the things that have changed. You know, you know we could have never imagined that Rihanna would have align LVMH, you know what I mean? We could have never imagined, you know, um, even, um, what's his name from Vuitton? Virgil, Virgil, yeah. <laughs> we couldn't have ma- imagined these people when I left, uh, what was that? Shoot, 15 years ago yeah. when I left the business. We could have never imagined those people. Um, but now this is all happening. So it's it feels like change is happening. I'm so happy for my girl, Brandis Daniels over at home. Yes, Fact, she was know. on the show. We yeah. love her. <laughs> love her, but like the CFDA and Vogue doing that yes. million dollar um, fund with her. It's a long time coming. Long time. Okay, they should have done yes. it a long time ago, but we're just glad now that they get, that they have to be doing it. Now, I don't know if they understand that they should be doing it yeah. or they're, they're being forced by you know, kind of like what's going on in the world today. But whichever way it goes, I'm happy that, you know, all these great designers got a great, you know, $100,000 stipend yes. in which to create and to really build out their brands. So amazing, amazing. And, you know, uh, you spoke about, you know, writing, writing a, 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 a play. And what I noticed throughout the book is that it seemed like you turned to writing 
as a therapeutic exercise whenever you're going through a really tough period in your life. And what struck me in the man hunt, which yeah. I loved, I was like, Ooh, this is juicy. <laughs> Did you but enjoy was, the man hunt? It was so good. It was so good. Um, the, the part where you go through the breakup and you're in the hotel room and you start writing. I'm like, who do, it's, it's almost like, it's almost like you're a therapist and you're like, you know what? I think I need to do a writing exercise right now. Like, where did that come <laughs> from? Like, where, where did the writing in your life, like, what was it something you've always done, you know, yeah. when you were younger? Like, where did it come no, from? I had never journaled when I was younger. Um, I, I, I was always a ferocious reader, right? So I love to read. And most writers are, are avid readers as well. I mean, to really be a good writer, you should read a lot. Um, and, and lots of different types of things. So I was, I always loved to read. Um, and I never really thought of myself as a writer. So when I decided to quit my job, one of the courses that I took was a writing course. Oh, wow. I took screenwriting. I took creative writing. I took nonfiction writing. And I did a lot of different things like that. Yeah. Wow. Um, and so when I got the opportunity to actually start writing for paper magazine and for interview magazine, that was a really big deal because they literally, Kim Hashtrider and Mr. Mickey and David Herskovitz, um, I said to them that, you know, I was quitting my job and I wanted to, like, to write and things. And they were like, you can write for paper. Amazing. And, yeah. And then Glenn O'Brien, may he rest in peace, um, was a really incredibly talented, just a New York uh, fashion icon. And um, he was actually GQ's original The Style Guy. But he's the reason why I started writing for Interview Magazine. I met him out and uh, we were talking and I was telling him about how I was writing. And he's like, you should write for Interview Magazine. And then I got back to Vibe Magazine because my dear friend Mimi Valdez was- Mimi! We love Mimi! Mimi. She was the editor-in-chief of Vibe at that point. And she um, said, oh, Bevy, you know- you should, um, you know, come back. And, and I was like, oh, I'm not interested in coming back and doing ad sales. She was like, well, what is it that you want to do? And I said, I want to write and I want to do TV. And she said, come back as a fashion editor at large. And then she gave me my own column. Um, she gave me an advice column in Vibe Vixen. She gave me a fashion column in Vibe. And so it was great. So all of a sudden I just started writing. So that gave me courage. I always tell people like, you know, I say it in the book, like once you're paid to do something, that means you're a pro. And then in the book, I say, sex workers of the world unite. unite. <laughs> but really, though. Hey, hey. Yeah, exactly. Once you get a check for something, you know, that, that, that means you really do that. You know, um, I, I actually that. just recently um, had the opportunity to be an art consultant on a film. And I don't know if you read the part in the book where I talk about my future is I want to become an art and architecture consultant like a wow. curator of sorts. Yeah. And so it's really amazing to me that I wrote that in the book and now there's going to be a movie coming out and in the credits, it's going to say art consultant, Bevy Smith. And like, so it's just, you know, it's one of those things where like for me, and even with the writing, I just started writing out what I wanted in life. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of like, um, you know, it was vision boarding. The book yeah. I see is a vision board. Um, but certainly my writing was very much a vision board at the early stages. And I, I got that a lot from reading um, um, uh, The Artist's Way yes. by Julia Cameron. 
um, you know, and doing my morning pages that gave me courage. And so, yeah, that's how I kind of came to writing. Wow. And you've been doing the work as Iyamla would say. Iyamla popped up in your book so many times. Yes. You're like, <laughs> yes. I love it. I, I love, love it. And, 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 and for me, you know, um, Ayanla is one of those amazing women that's like, you know, um, for some people, they think of her as like a cackle and a kiki. But if you really listen to her, like she really does have some really wise and sage advice for everyone, but especially black women. And she really does give us a certain amount of liberation. And that's what I want to do with my book. And that's the reason why it's called Mother um, Auntie Bestie, because I feel like all of us embody that at some point in our lives. You know, a mother is really a title given to me by my gay sons. That's the mother part of me. And it's, and that was the real, the first time in my life where I actually was able to um, mentor people. My first ever mentee was a young man who I mentioned in the book, my son, Terrell Jones, who's now a very successful fashion stylist. Yes. He's my first official mentor. Now I've been wow. mentoring people since I was a kid, but he was the first person I actually took under my wing with a real kind of solid idea. Like I want to be your mentor. You can come to me for anything. And now I'm mother to him, but now he also mentors me. Wow. So it's, it's a wonderful thing the way that happens. And then of course, being an auntie, you know, so many, but well, one, I have four nephews, one niece, excuse me, I have a great <laughs> nephew. So I'm Auntie Bev. I've been Auntie Bev since I was 18 years old wow. to my nephew, Melvin. So, um, and it's one of the best like roles I've ever had in my life. I take great pleasure in being the fly auntie yes. that will access, that will take you to all the best concerts, that will take you on your first international trip. I'm that auntie. Yes. But then I'm also auntie because when people watch me on TV, they feel very connected to me. And young women tend to be like, oh my gosh, you're like my auntie. Now I do say in the book that unless you're under the age of 35, don't hit me with the auntie. Then you can be moved into the best. <laughs> and the bestie category is really good because guess what? As a bestie, you know, so many people again saw me on TV and felt like they knew me. And they were like, you're like that tell it like it is friend that everyone needs. Yes. And so I was like, okay, I connect with that spirit. So that's how we got, you know, lessons from a mother, auntie, bestie. Amazing. I, I mean, you give so, so many pieces of advice. Honestly, you guys, you're going to be, you're going to be underlining, highlighting. It's crazy. One thing that you mentioned um, in Manhunt, I feel like there are so many great lessons on womanhood there. Yeah. Um, you mentioned, um, you know, women are always judged when they choose themselves over others. And I'm a mother of a two-year-old and a four-year-old, and I am married. I know I'm married. I, I have three. I, I say three kids, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I had to really carve out space for myself with no guilt. Yeah. And, and That's got to be so tough for you with two small children. It's, it's tough. It's tough. And That's you know, really hard. And you're managing to do this as well. You're like a superwoman. Ah! <laughs> you have Thank a husband you. that you have to take care of as well. And then you have to do all of this for yourself. 
Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I really resonated with what you said there, because I think so many times we put other people, other things before ourselves. And then we wake up one day like you did. And we're just like, who am I? Who am I? So I'm curious, you know, that aside, let me get into it real quick. Cause you know, I'm, I'm looking on Instagram, you getting out the pool as Baywatch <laughs> Bevy, yeah. looking all juicy. And I'm like, I, I, I had to send it to a friend. I said, Oh my gosh, I have to look like this when I get to Bevy's like, what are you doing, Bevy? No, what, no, no. What is it? No, no, no. That, that's nothing. Let me tell you something. <laughs> One that was two years ago in Croatia. Uh, so there's that. Um, now I have my COVID body going on. Um, so there's that. Um, but but you know what? Honestly, for me, I gotta say when when the the manhunt part of the book and talking about choosing yourself over other people, it just reminded me of when I was a young woman, and I know that someone like you probably did this in school. When did you meet your husband? Did you meet him in college? Uh, no, no. Oh. I, I had partied my way through New York, um, you know, danced on a few boats. Uh-huh. And then I was like, all right, you know, 30, yeah. 31. Yeah. <laughs> you see in my book in Manhunt, that was my plan too. I got off the streets at 28 with the yeah. idea of getting married to this guy. And it didn't turn out, you know, it didn't work out the way that I wanted it to at that time. But I'm so glad that it didn't. You know, everyone has their own path and their own journey. I have so many friends that are so happily married and they have children, all that. And and I love that. And I'm not one of those women that's against that. But I know that that wouldn't have been right for me because I look, I know myself. To thine own self be true is what William Shakespeare says. And for me, um, I could not have found this Beverly, this little brown bevy. I could not have found her if I had been in that kind of relationship, because at that point, everything that I was, was all about whatever they wanted me to be, Hmm. whatever the man wanted me to be. So I I would, I was willing to morph myself into whatever he wanted me to be to secure the situation. You know how they say secure the bag. I was trying to secure the relationship. You were securing that ring too. I was like, I was was so very like driven. Right. So, um, you know, if we had gotten married, I would be a mom mm-hmm. in Westchester with a beautiful home and I would be an advertising executive. But wow. that means, guess what I wouldn't be? And th- that's a nice life. But who I wouldn't be is Bevy Smith, world traveler. I mm-hmm. would not be a writer. Certainly I, would have n- I wouldn't have written this book. I wouldn't be a TV personality. I wouldn't be a radio host. You know, I wouldn't be all these things that now bring so much joy into my life. I never actually wanted children. I felt like children was a part of the bargain that you have to strike when you get married. Because I I still don't really know that many people that get married and choose not to have children. Interesting. But really, you think about it. Kirsten, how many people do you really know that get married and say, we're not going to have kids? You Most know, I get married I, with the idea of you get married, you have children. Well, my best friend Natalie is actually married, and she's like, no, no, since day one. No, 
Yeah, but I, I think she might be changing her mind. Hey, Natalie. Changing your mind. So you know what I mean? And then, and yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. But you know, who who would I have been? Yeah. Um, and I like this version of me. I love, love this. It. You know what I mean? And I and I can't imagine my life if I hadn't had all of the grand adventures and if I hadn't like tested myself and I, if I hadn't been uncomfortable, if I had the comfort of a relationship in that way, and if I had had to kind of um, shrink myself to be in said relationship, I could have never been this person that I am now. And, and she's independent. She's fierce. She knows her own mind. You know, she goes for what she wants. And of course, yes, uh, uh, I see a woman like you and I'm like, I'm in awe of the fact that you still, I'm tired. The fact that you have this podcast though, and you have two children and a husband, that means you're not, you've not put your dreams off to the side, but you were probably always a really strong person. In my book, I talk about how I wasn't that strong person. You know what I mean? So you have to know who you are. Like Lots you, of therapy, Bevy. Lots yeah, of therapy exactly. over here. Yeah, yeah <laughs> no, for me too. So that's why I'm able to write the book and feel good about my life choices because lots of therapy, you know? And I talk about therapy in the book. It's, I, I you know, it's, you, you read Manhunt. I started doing therapy for him. Mm. And then it, it turned out to be the biggest bonus of my life that I was like, oh, so this is not just to benefit him. It benefits me. But even that, when you read Manhunt, weren't you shocked at how, like, man-focused I was? Like, it's insane. When I read that chapter, I'm just like, really, baby? Yeah, but so many so many of us are. So many women are. Like, I, I there was absolutely, yeah, I, I didn't even view it that way. There was no judgment because I... I, I I found myself in that space so many times and even, you know, it's something that never stops. And I think that whether you have a husband or not, whether you're in a relationship, you will always have to set those boundaries for yourself to keep yourself intact and also to continue to evolve into who you're supposed to be. Yes. Yes. But I think it's very hard for many women to do it because we are taught that marriage is a surprise. And for many of us, once we get married, married, then that is like, that's it. And we think that that person's job, it's their job to make us happy. Now, I don't know if you came into it like that. Woo! I know certainly for myself, I definitely expected if I was with a man in a committed relationship, I was off the hook to make myself happy. It was his job to make me happy. And, and that's you know, what I about in Manhunt. It was so good. That really resonated with me as well. Um, because that was something I had to work through in my marriage. You know, I didn't, you know, my parents are married and, you know, I know people who are married, but it's something that a lot of people don't talk about. Yes. You know, that portion of 
really sort of expecting someone else to play a role in your happiness. And I didn't realize how much I was pulling my husband, bless his heart, uh, to, to, and expecting him to fill those holes that I needed to work through in my life. So I'm like, how dare you? You should love me. And and he's just like, dude, I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed. Yeah. But that's exactly what I talk about in Manhunt. And that's the reason why I cannot dog out my ex because it's like, and then I say in the book, like, listen, I have to take ownership and my part in the, in the situation and the way it went down and the way, you know, whatever I'm unhappy about the way it ended or what have you, I have to take my responsibility. I played a part in that. And at any time that it wasn't working, you know, like when I was younger and, and not really didn't have the clarity, I blamed him. And, um, you know, it, it was, I demonized him. And then you do your therapy, you get older and you're like, yeah, no, if he was making, you know, the whole quote fingers, they made me feel insecure. No, no, no. He didn't make you feel insecure. You were insecure. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. And maybe things that he did were triggers, but then as a thinking grown up person, you know, well, if someone's triggering you in a negative way, then you probably don't need to be with that person. Absolutely. You don't sit up and blame them and stay with them and, and make both of your lives a living hell. Yeah. So those are so many great things that I learned. And then, you know, of course, um, also in Manhunt, I talk about, you know, creating this life for myself once I realized that I was going to have to make myself happy. And that's the biggest part of, um, that's a happy ending for me in Manhunt. That I finally realized, oh my gosh, the life that I want is up to me to create, to curate. It's not up to anyone else. And while that at first is a very scary idea, then it becomes an empowering idea. Because it's like, oh. Yeah. You mean I can create whatever life I want for myself? That's a big. You take your power back. So that's what I did. Your power back. Take your power back. Yeah. And I'm happy to say it worked out nice. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. You know, I, I'm curious, you know, I mean, you're, you are a, a black woman, curvaceous, you know, speaking your mind. You have been so successful over the years. You've broken down so many barriers. Like, what? has helped you get over some of the societal challenges and perceptions of multiple industries, whether it was entertainment or fashion. Like, and I'm sure there's a lot of black and brown girls listening right now who are like, oh, I, I have these dreams and, the, and this vision, but tip, historically, you know, it, they don't accept people like me. Yeah. Um, you know, I was very, very fortunate that I was raised in a community that loved me and that I saw myself reflected in um, so many great success stories. So like, you know, um, being born and raised in an all-Black community of Harlem, um, post-civil rights, um, and all of a sudden it's the Black Power Movement. So I'm a kid in the 1970s and everything is Black Power and we're learning Swahili in school. What? Yeah, yeah. And every day was Black History Month. Our classrooms were plastered with not just 
Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass, but like Benjamin Banneker and, you know, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, just so many other iconic people that you don't hear about until you get, you know, deep into your African-American studies when you go to Howard. You know what Ain't I mean? you? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? Um, but like, so it, it was that, right? So that was my foundation. So I come from a place, a cultural, you know, kind of a vast cultural rich place. Um, and so I have that in my spirit when I go into the white world. And then I meet amazing white folks who become my mentors. I meet, you know, um, four incredible white folks that mentor me and take me under their wing. And they give me so much access and they give me a lot of information. But in the meantime, in between time, there's still a cultural deficit there because they're doing all this great stuff for me and with me and, and believing in me, but they don't understand completely my journey, which is why for me, it's so important to be a mentor now to young black people, because as, and my mentors were amazing. I don't get any of this done without those four folks in my life, Jeff McKay, Kenny Valenti, Gil Malloy, and Chuck Cohen. I don't get it done without them. But, but I can only imagine how much easier it could have been if I had a black mentor in that group who when certain um, microaggressions and, and certainly some microaggressions happened, I could have gone to them and said, what do you think about this? What, you know, how should I handle this issue? What should I be asking for? I feel like this might be a thing of like, they're not paying me as much because I am black or because I am a woman, whatever. I didn't have that. But I still made it through and I, and I figured it out a lot of it on my own, just through going through the business and, and just seeking um, people out and, and seeking them out just through reading about them. Um, you know, when I got the chance to meet Susan Taylor, it was so awesome because, you know, so Susan Taylor, you know, the former editor-in-chief of Essence Magazine during this golden age, you know, was someone that I looked up to. And for her to know who I am and know my name, it just like blows me away. But yeah, I would definitely say to the young ladies who are listening to this podcast, it's definitely um, to keep an eye out for women that you can really connect with. And don't ask someone to be your mentor. Ment being a mentee and a mentor, that relationship is very visceral. And you'll know when it's right. And it's not about... Um, you know, it's not about, you know, oh, that person's really successful, so I want them to mentor me. It has to be a, a real connection. Absolutely. You know, that person has to see something in you that makes them want to help you. You know, I can give advice to a lot of people, but there's not a lot of folks that I meet every day where I'm like, I want you to have my phone number and I want you to know, call me anytime <laughs> something goes bad. Right. <laughs> That's not like that. You know, but I do have a lot of really great, young people in the business of entertainment and fashion, certainly that over the years, they've been able to call me and get advice. And that's something I'm really proud of. And that's the, that's the mother auntie of, of my story, you know, being that mentor for young. 
of color. Certainly. I I felt that so much when I went to Life with Vision. I was like, Bevy is just putting herself out there. You were talking to everyone. There was no sort of air of I'm yeah. here, you're there. You're just so open. So it's just so beautiful to see and to see so many people supporting you and 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 you know just following your career and and and, and tapping into you know, your advice and vision. Um, so, <laughs> vision. Um, yes. so I just want to thank you so much. Um, the last question that I typically ask every guest is what is your favorite fashion moment of all time? And it can be professional. It can be personal, something that you saw growing up or experience, but just really a magical moment for you that really lives in your mind? Well, I've had so many incredible fashion moments in life. I would probably say my most recent magical fashion moment was the Pia Moss show um, that was at King's Theater in um, New York City. And I think it was like 2018. Um, And it was a beautiful, beautiful show. Um, And it was just so powerful because he always makes these important um, statements about Black life and Black art. And it was on display. And there we were in this iconic, you know, theater in Brooklyn. He made all of the, you know, Vogue girls and all the Harper's Bazaar girls, everybody come out (laughs) of Brooklyn, you know, and it was a rainy Sunday and folks were there in droves. And he put on this incredibly black show with beautiful clothes. And um, it was very inspiring the way he goes about it, the way he doesn't shy away from controversy. Um, He knows that there are going to be a lot of white folks in the audience. He knows that Anna Wintour is someone who has championed him, but he doesn't, he does not perform for the white gaze. He does not. He goes his own way. He does his beautiful work and he puts it out there and, um, you know, he's built a successful brand. So I think that that's been one of the most uh, special fashion moments, magical fashion moments that I've had in a really long time. Hmm. You know, I remember watching it on my computer. I think I was here and the choir, the choir was singing, Lord, make me over. Yes. And I just got chills. It, it it just elevated the the fashion experience to an entirely new cultural level. Like the music, the way the way that he integrates that, and it, it's crazy because I was actually singing that song to myself the wow. entire week. It was almost like ministering to my soul. Lord, don't don't only make over what I'm wearing. Make me yes. over. Yes, yes. So that you know the way I feel inside will project outside. The real, the true essence of who who you are and who we are as a as black people. It was just beautiful. Yeah, so well, I I agree. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so great that you were there. Woo! Yeah. I'm I, I know Marshall. <laughs> Woo! He did one. In, uh, he did one the year prior and. Reachville, which is the oldest black free um, free black settlement in New York um, City, and um, that was incredible. And that 
I remember that moment, um, the choir sang Be Real Black for Me, which is a Donny Hathaway song. And it was just powerful. Again, a, a, a rainy Sunday, he had everybody, or maybe it was a Saturday, but it was raining. And he had folks outside at Wheatsville <laughs> in the rain watching this really powerful show. Wow. And um, so, you know, that's what I, I hope to do. You know, art is activism. I think that, you know, all of us, no matter what we do in life, we have to kind of make sure that we're being a voice, that we're being a beacon, that we're being a mother, auntie, bestie, you know, that we're, we're giving that kind of support to each other. Well, thank you so much, Bevy, for being on the show. You are absolutely amazing. Everyone, please go by. <laughs> Bevelations, if you haven't already, because I know some of you guys have pre-ordered. Yes. Um, <laughs> Wait, now I have to ask you a question. Yes. When do you feel you're most powerful? When you're a mother, an auntie, or a bestie? Hmm. I would say a mother. It's truly something unlike anything I've ever experienced. And whether it's you know, my actual children or even being able to pass along a hard lesson, you know, that you've learned in the past to someone else to help make their lives better. I think there's just so much, so much there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe I'm, I, you know, I tell my friends all the time, especially, you know, my friends in New York, I'm like, can you believe I'm somebody's mama? Me? You know? <laughs> you are now on it. By the way, thank you for putting me on to James Vanderzee. I didn't know what was up. <laughs> Powerful, right? Oh my, I want all the books. I want all the books. Right, all of them. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much. You're welcome, baby. Thank you for taking time out of your day. Thank you so much. Have an awesome day. Thank you, baby. You too. Take care. Bye, mother. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you 